Welcome to the Hong Kong on Screen podcast, brought to you by Hong Kong on Screen, a Los Angeles-based nonprofit organization promoting films and culture of Hong Kong. Hello, welcome back to our Hong Kong on Screen podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. We have Professor Joseph Lee from Pace University, and he is a professor of history. Professor Lee, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, sure. Thank you. You know, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Joseph Lee. You know, I teach uh, history at Pace University, and I'm also running um, a research institute called the Global Asia Institute at Pace. Uh, I think my research actually deal with uh, the history of China, uh, and occasionally I teach uh, courses on uh, Hong Kong, you know, film uh, industry, the history of Hong Kong film uh, industry uh, at my university as well. So I'm very happy here today just to um, yeah, talk to you about uh, the very famous movie, uh, The Ten Years. Of course. Yeah, we're very glad to have you as well. So yeah, today we're going to talk about Ten Years, Sapnin, which is, as you said, both a very famous movie and in some circles, an infamous movie. Ten Years is an anthology film comprised of five short films made in 2015. And it was a big deal back when it came out, and it still is a big deal, continues to be a big deal today. It's most known for the both the big political statements it makes in the movie, including some very taboo topics like Hong Kong independence today, and also the waves and noise it made back then in community screenings and finally winning the best film from the Hong Kong Film Awards. And it was quite a scandal at that time. So... To give you a brief summary of the kind of style and the content of 10 Years, uh, 10 Years is comprised of five short films, and the first short film is called Extras, Gua, and it is a kind of psychological thriller in black and white about two lower class men who have been hired by triads, by gangsters, by organized crime, to assassinate two pro Beijing politicians at a kind of community event. And it is kind of a commentary on the hypocrisy of China-controlled Hong Kong politics back then and legislative politics, and which have kind of turned out to become reality. More on that later. And the second short is called Dong Season of the End. And it is a kind of very poetic art house rumination on a couple's relationship in a dystopian 2025 Hong Kong. They, in the short, the husband asks the wife to turn him into a sample forever and freeze his body forever. And that is the main plot of the short. Professor Lee, why don't you introduce to us the rest of the remaining shorts? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the third one is uh, the dialect. Um, I think it actually talks about, you know, the, um, the extinction, you know, of the Cantonese language. Uh, but I think the larger narrative, you know, in that film is, you know, how the marginalizations of Cantonese as a language and culture, uh, it also resonates with the whole rejections of the political rights of uh, the Hong Kong citizens, you know, in the post-colonial era. Uh, so I think, you know, the dialect itself, I think it actually gives us a linguistic dimension uh, to understanding the Hong Kong-China relationship since 1997. Uh, I think the fourth one is called uh, Self-Immolator. Uh, I would say that one is actually the most um, provocative and also the most uh, challenging film, you know, within the 10-year series. Uh, it really talks about the debate uh, 
regarding the use of you know political strategies you know to fight for you know Hong Kong's right uh, and also to demand freedom and, and even to talk about political independence as well uh, so it is a kind of very uh, emotional and also a very politically charged subjects uh, in Hong Kong after 1997 uh, and, and I think the film it also you know reveals some very graphical illustration of you know using self-immolation as a way uh, to make a political statement uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, so, so I think that film actually had a, definitely had a very powerful political message. Uh, the last one is uh, Local Aids. Uh, it talked about, um, it, it, it actually gave a very strong you know, criticism of the neoliberal economy in Hong Kong. Uh, and, but at the same time, it also showed how some of the working class, you know, uh, people who live in the working class neighborhood, uh, how they actually build solidarity uh, to fight against censorship and also propaganda, political political propaganda, uh, and also indoctrination among Hong Kong's children. Uh, so yeah, so this is actually a very general uh, overview of the contents, you know, of these five films. Right. So dialect Fong Yin is kind of like a comedy, yeah. almost like a series of sketches about this taxi driver who is failing to meet new requirements to become Mandarin certified to provide Mandarin services to passengers in what, a, what was a once Cantonese dominated city. Um, Self-Immolator is the fourth one. The most challenging one is a kind of mockumentary or pseudo documentary about the first political prisoner in Hong Kong and the first to kill himself. And, um, and he advocates for Hong Kong independence. And in the short itself, there are slogans of Hong Kong independence as well as other fake you know, a- academics commenting on the idea of Hong Kong independence. And finally, Local Lake Bundai Dan is kind of like a, a heartwarming family drama in the, in the likes of Hirokatsu Koreeda. And it's a nice cap off to the end. It's about a father who can no longer sell local eggs because the word local has been banned for political sensitivity reasons. And then he tries to educate his son to kind of have faith in the future. In general, all of the films revolve around this idea of predicting the future of Hong Kong in 10 years. So it was made in 2015, so it is roughly a, around 2025, the future in 2025, even though actually some of the films take place closer to like 2020 or 2019, that period. But it is a kind of like a dystopian 10 years later prediction kind of concept. And I think one of the most famous things now about the film is that how eerily those predictions have come true not even 10 years in the future we're only seven years into the future and many of the predictions in the movie have already come true um so talking about this film it is impossible to avoid the elephant in the room which is what has kind of stolen most of the the debate of the film in the local online community at least which is the best film in the hong kong film awards so in 2016 it won Best Film in the Hong Kong Film Awards, the top prize, even though it was the only award it won that night, and I believe also its only nomination. And it beat another film called Dapu Tsambui, Port of Call, which was kind of a more traditional movie that already won Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, like all the other awards. So it was seen as the favorite to win Best Picture. And then suddenly 10 years at the end of the night went Best Film. And obviously because of the political content of the movie, it was uh, it made a lot of noise. And a lot of industry figures like um, kind of 
uh, studio CEOs, they came out to reject this and they said, this is a total disgrace to the Hong Kong film industry, etc. So my first question to you, Professor Lee, is do you think 10 years deserved to win Best Film in the Hong Kong Film Awards? Do you think it has artistic merit or is it just kind of like an empty political gesture? No, I think that's actually a very good question. I think it actually brings back to, um, I think the moment, I think if we actually watch, you know, that film, you know, award on YouTube, uh, you can actually see mm-hmm. the reactions, you know, from the audience. Uh, and I think one powerful uh, image was, you know, I think that event, it was the first, uh, the first time uh, I think the Hong Kong Film, you know, uh, award, you know, it was not broadcast in China. Mm. Uh, so I think the reaction from mainland China, uh, it actually revealed the kind of um, anxiety uh, and also the, um, the, yeah, the political anxiety on the Chinese officials uh, towards the political subtext of the film. Um, yeah, I, I think that was actually an amazing film, you know, in terms of its conceptualization. Uh, I think if you think about each individual topics, you know, how this actually come together as a kind of, you know, coherent and also organic whole, uh, organic, you know, structure. Uh, but what is more important is I think the producers of the 10 years project, uh, they actually articulate these ideas of, you know, trying to rethink and reimagine your home society, you know, your home country in 10 years time. Uh, I, I think that actually revealed the first serious effort uh, to use film to navigate and also to talk about crisis uh, in your home society, in your home country. Um, so I think the conceptualization itself, it was quite remarkable uh, compared with other Hong Kong art house cinema and also Hong Kong you know, commercial film yeah, over the last few decades. And of course, I think the acting and, and all the you know, copy editing itself, uh, I, I think that each one is so different, but at the same time, they all point to the subject about, you know, Hong Kong identity, you know, since 1997. Right. I also agree that, you know, this might be a hot take or a controversial opinion, but I fully agree that 10 years has a lot of artistic merit and totally deserved to win Best Film from the Hong Kong Film Awards. You know, from a technical standpoint, a lot of people online say, oh, 10 years is only student film quality and it's kind of an embarrassment compared to the other films dominated or other films that have won Best Film in the Hong Kong Film Awards in the past. And I think that's totally untrue. I think if you look at 10 years, there is an amazing kind of confidence in the way it is projecting its message and its vision. The vision is so complete and professional and it really is above other um, similar projects in Hong Kong. Because the anthology movie is not a new concept in Hong Kong cinema at all, and other new waves of cinema. I think we've talked about this a little bit in another episode of the podcast, but you know, you have a lot of anthology films coming up from Hong Kong. Like There's another one released around the same time, also by new directors called Good Time. And then obviously this year, there's Septet, A Story from Hong Kong by the veteran directors of Hong Kong. And I think none of them have the kind of amazing, brazen confidence and complete package that 10 years has. And in each individual short, we see a lot of promising stylistic features as well. Like in Fa Extras, the first one, the black and white thriller, I think it is a great thriller and it really keeps you on the edge of the seat. And the framing there is very precise and it shows a lot of awareness of class. It shows a lot of awareness of the space and how to frame things to make them more interesting. And these are all 
things that I I believe totally have artistic merit. And obviously, I think Tifanze, Self Emulator, the most the most famous one, the mockumentary style, the challenging of the audience, and the blurring the line between fictionality and reality is totally amazing. And I I don't think a lot of Hong Kong films have actually done that in the past. I mean, there are some, but you know, by the masters. So I think Ten Years totally deserved to win that award that night, and I hope to clear the air that it is not just a political thing. It actually is a film worthy of looking at itself as well. Yeah, and 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 also to add on that because I think mm-hmm. um, I think if you look at the selection criteria, um, I believe that I think the award was actually chosen by. Uh, mm-hmm. The film professional themselves. Uh, yeah. So so I think they really look at it, you know, from their own professional uh, perspective. Uh, so so I guess you know, looking at that you know award in that year, I think it's legitimate, it's fair. I don't see why not. You know, I think it's actually the new political environment uh, that actually get people to ask all these kind of you know question about yeah. the legitimacy of the uh, award. Yeah, of course, and it, like you say, it's hugely ironic that. Actually, the voters themselves voted for that film, totally believing whatever reason b- behind it, they voted for it. And then yeah. after that, they came out to decry it, to reject it, you know, to, to, to it's, it's a, a whole circus show. And yeah, let's, let's talk about the first most important thing first, which is how does 10 years and how do the shorts in 10 years, five of them, reflect the kind of anxieties and concerns of Hong Kongers in the post umbrella movement landscape as well as now the post-2019 anti-extradition bill protests landscape yeah i can think of two things actually because i actually use you know this film as a kind of you know historical film in my class in my history class uh so it actually weighs some fundamental question about uh you know the identity politics okay i think that's the first thing you know the identity politics you know in hong kong mm. uh, what actually constitute uh, the Hong Kong Cantonese identity, or even uh, a Hong Kong cosmopolitan identity that not only includes the Cantonese-speaking population, but also some other non-Chinese minority who have lived and also contributed to Hong Kong's development. Uh, I think in extra and also in self-immolation, uh, self-immolator, I think you do see some you know, representations of South Asian Hong Kongers. Uh, so it actually widened right. the whole discussion mm-hmm. about what constitutes you know, Hong Kongers in the 21st century. Yeah. And, and, and I would say the second thing is really about the civility of political crisis. Um, I think each one of the film also asks important questions about life and death situation. Uh, so whenever we think about political crisis, yeah, it is almost like a life and death situation for the people who are facing it. Uh, so I guess, you know, the representations of, you know, the political crisis, uh, it also resonates with the anxiety and also the concern uh, of the local audience who watch the film. Right. And yeah, for me, I think it is a very accurate depiction and kind of crystallization of the post-Umbrella Movement era of Hong Kong politics from 2014 to 2019. There was this sense of dread and bleakness and foreboding and hopelessness that was very prevalent in those years after the Umbrella movements that left the democracy movements not knowing what to do and those years of desperation and seeking for direction. And you can really see those anxieties reflected in 10 years 
and it's also in other Hong Kong movies at that time, like um, like surprisingly, like um, this movie called She Remembers He Forgets Nineteen Ngomun Wei by Adam Wong, director Adam Wong, also another post Umbrella movie that no longer has the hope of the pre Umbrella movement period and has more bleakness and admittance of defeat, and obviously right now it's it has a renewed relevance in the post-2019 landscape because right now we are in another era that is after uh, unsuccessful protest movement. And we are, you know, gathering our resources, we are reflecting on ourselves and, you know, wondering what went wrong, what went right. And it is th- exactly that same feeling and mood again. And I think 10 Years is once again a film that we should all look towards too. And I find it very interesting that you use it in history class because if you think about historical movies, you would think about, you know, movies like, like Schindler's List, which are, about, you know, movies that about things that happened in the past. But 10 years is actually a prediction of the future. But actually, it is also very applicable as a historical film, which I, I think is totally ingenious. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I think you actually make a very nice way, you know, to um, divide, you know, these two distinct uh, periods, you know, mm-hmm. of, you know, finding meaning, you know, in the movie 10 years. Uh, the post umbrella and also the post uh, 2019 2020 um, yeah definitely I think when you think about the historical timeline um, I think the 10 years project really collapsed this you know dividing line between the mm-hmm. past the present and also the future uh, they are actually looking at the failure of the first umbrella protest mm-hmm. uh, it was very disappointing uh, but at the present at the same time they are also hoping uh, to reimagine, you know, a more hopeful future as well. So the past and the present and the future, I think they are all interconnected. Uh, so, so I think the director themselves, I think they are really careful and also very smart to challenge the audience to uh, move beyond from that past disappointment and at the same time trying to think carefully about what they can achieve in order to have a more hopeful future. Mm. Right, let's talk a bit about the producing context of the movie. So 10 Years is not only a very special movie because of the content of the movie itself, but also because of the larger environment in which it was produced and made and exhibited. 10 Years quite famously bypassed a traditional commercial theatrical release and went into the kind of local community screenings instead. So Professor Lee, can you tell us a little bit about these distribution methods and strategies that the 10 years team used and how did they achieve the success of spreading their awareness and maybe even making back their production costs? Yeah, no, thank you. I think that's a very good observation about, you know, um, I think the the reception, you know, the popular receptions mm-hmm. of the 10 years, you know, in the local community. Um, I guess, you know, once, you know, the film was actually being produced, uh, I think they encountered lots of, you know, institutional censorship. Uh, I think many commercial movie theater in Hong Kong feel reluctant, you know, to carry mm-hmm. the film. Uh, so I think um, the, the, the production team, I think they use some of, you know, the local community network, uh, the school network, the church network, uh, you know, to make the film screening as a kind of, you know, community-based uh, festival. Uh, so I think that it, it turned out that that was a very effective strategy because it actually helped to bring the movie to some grassroots community across all the 18 districts of Hong Kong. Uh, so it mm-hmm. actually keep alive the conversation. 
uh, you know, and, and, and it also allowed the movie director and also the production team to have a one-on-one -on -one direct engagement uh, with the audience as well. Uh, so even though it was a post-Umbrella era, but it actually kept the memory of that struggle alive uh, through the community-based screening. Uh, so I think that part was really smart. Uh, the second thing is actually they also make good use of the social media. Uh, I think at one point, I think the film was also carried by Netflix uh, in the United States. Uh, so it actually helped to reach an international audience as well. I guess, you know, um, I think when the political climate was fine, uh, it was okay to use the community screening, you know, as a kind of new practice uh, to bypass the censorship. But once that option was not there, then I think the social media platform could be a really useful alternative. Yeah, definitely. And nowadays, all of those screenings would be impossible. Like just a few months ago, uh, one of the local organizers tried to screen The Dark Knight, the Batman movie from 2008, which was partially shot in Hong Kong and only received a 2A, like a PG rating from the Hong Kong censorship board. And it was banned. Because of because of various reasons, political reasons, and both they claim it's like on screen violence or whatever. But this is like unheard of, and the goalposts of censorship in Hong Kong are being moved every day. So that's why when you watch the movie, it's actually really ironic that in the credits you can see some of the local government departments, like LCSD, Leisure and Cultural Services Department, thanked in the credits. So it's totally ironic that you can see government departments being thanked and potentially you know helped the film and the production. Nowadays, that would never happen. I think. It predicted the national security law before the term national security law meant anything to Hong Kongers. And it's a really harrowing reality that Hong Kong independent filmmaking faces nowadays. And the distributor Golden Scene also is very intrepid in the way it continues to distribute movies with an independent spirit. Let's not say political content because it's not really true anymore. But still with a grassroot, like you say, a grassroot native indigenous localist spirit and you can see those still in Hong Kong cinema surviving today and the far-reaching impact of 10 years to moving. Yeah and also uh, no I think you make an excellent point because I think of the increasing you know political challenges um, I think I think for the movie director nowadays you know whether they're based in Hong Kong and abroad they really have to think global right I think you know whatever they produce are really towards the global audience uh, and, and, and so I guess, you know, the kind of conceptualization and also the selections of the topic and subject matter, you know, it has, it, it must have that kind of universal mm. application uh, and also the universal appeal. Right. And I think um, what you're talking about, the like 10 years being on Netflix, streaming has totally exploded in Hong Kong during the COVID lockdowns and both Netflix and Disney Plus are now major players in the Hong Kong streaming landscape. And this is totally something that 10 years almost kind of pioneered. And nowadays you can see a lot of Hong Kong movies being uploaded to streaming platforms or acquired by streaming platforms, such as recently um, Warriors of Future, which is a totally huge giant blockbuster, but it was acquired by Netflix for global distribution. And this is something that 10 years figured out seven years ago. And also a lot of Hong Kong filmmakers because of the broken relationship with the Chinese markets, we are now looking at more global uh, markets for distribution and success and financial returns like Southeast Asian markets. So you can see production companies like View, the um, right now the second biggest 
TV station in Hong Kong actively、mm. trying to expand into the Southeast Asian market and other global markets. So you could totally see how Ten Years also, you know, was very bold in the way it distributed this movie. And I have I have no idea if it made its money back or not, but I think it was on a cultural level totally a success. Absolutely, I think, and also on a professional level as well, because I think you know, even though they lost the domestic market, they actually won the global market,、uh, and they actually you know rediscovered the importance of the international、right. audience.、Uh, and also, I believe that I think for the ten years, they also inspire other regional movie director,、right. you know, to make ten years for their own country as well. Ten、uh, years Taiwan, ten years Japan,、uh, and also there's one ten、uh, years Thailand. Uh, so I guess you know, ten years as a kind of you know concept、mm-hmm. or cinematic paradigm,、uh, that could also be reproduced elsewhere. Right. Let's talk a bit about the ten years project. So after ten years, the movie, the twenty fifteen Hong Kong one, it became a global project to for other filmmakers in other countries to also make an anthology movies pr-、uh, of shorts predicting their societies. Ten years in the future and the problems that those countries are facing, and these projects include ten years Thailand, ten years Japan, ten years South Korea, and ten years Taiwan. And actually, they have some pr- pretty high-profile backing. Like the Japanese version has the backing of Hirokazu Koreeda, which is the the number one director in ha- Japan right now. And also, the ten years Thailand has the backing of Apichapong Versataku,、mm. who has been a total mainstay in the art house cinema landscape. And Ten Years Japan in particular,、um, there was a short in Ten Years Japan called Plant Seventy Five, which、um, actually got turned into a feature, and it was shown at the Cannes Film Festival this year, and it got a lot of success. And I believe it is currently Japan's official、um, submission into the Oscars for the best international feature film. So you can see how the Ten Years project has really gained massive global success and awareness. And the producers. This is totally to the producers' credit. The producers of the original Ten Years Hong Kong, and the vision they had to bring this project worldwide. And yeah, I think it's totally amazing, and it totally rethought how Hong Kong movies, Hong Kong cinema, can be distributed and seen. Yeah, no, no. I think I think you. I think what you characterize is so true because、uh, I think in the old days, you know, we think about the martial arts, you know, the types of happy violence film,、mm-hmm. uh, you know, coming from Hong Kong. But now you、mm-hmm. actually have、uh, a much more, you know, critical,、uh, you know, political cinema, right, you know,、right. the ten years formula,、uh, and that could be extremely appealing, you know, outside Hong Kong and also outside the Chinese world. Right.、Um, the filmmakers of Ten Years, the directors, almost all five of them have gone on to achieve success in their own personal careers. Most、mm-hmm. famously is Kiwi Chow, Zhao Gunwei, the director of Self Immolator, who has gone on to direct the commercial success Romance Beyond the Dream, and、mm-hmm. also, you know, Elephant in the Room, Cida Gaming, Revolution of Our Times, the documentary. That is the kind of definitive documentary on the Hong Kong 2019 protests, and it played in the Cannes Film Festival as well. And Kiwi Chow has totally become a, a, maybe the major figure in the current new wave of Hong Kong filmmaking, which has not been defined, but is、mm-hmm. definitely growing and and going on. And also,、um, the other directors like Alman Ki, the director of the dialect, dialect, yes, and he has. You know, he won the Best Director Award from the Hong Kong Film Awards one just one year later after ten years for Travisa Sudai Ziu Feng, and you can also the other directors all have 
gained personal success in their careers. And I, I totally agree with you and actually just observed that I, I, I also can trace a new style of filmmaking back to 10 years in Hong Kong cinema. I don't want to give 10 years like all the credit, but I do think there is a kind of noticeable mark before and after where Hong Kong movies nowadays, even though they're not allowed to be, you know, explicitly about politics, you know, about political figures or political plots, all of them carry some kind of political thought behind them much more prominently than before. Like, you know, every movie made in Hong Kong in Cantonese nowadays is called Bun Tou. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's framed as localist and indigenous, and it has these kind of indigenous thoughts behind it. Like, you know, I discussed with, um, in another episode in our podcast, the Far, Far Away, Yun Lo San Kala, which is just a total comedy, but it actually has so much of that native thinking behind the movie. And I think that is a total kind of departure in Hong Kong filmmaking that can be traced back to 10 years, like you said. Unlike the mainstream, you know, wuxia kind of action blockbusters of before, nowadays Hong Kong filmmaking has totally regained a kind of um, consciousness and I, I believe it can be traced back to 10 years. Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. Uh, especially this very interesting paradigm shift, you know, towards the local identity and also this localist uh, sentiment. Uh, I think it's actually becoming a new normal, uh, I think, in the Hong Kong, you know, media industry now. Uh, mm. and, and I think that also helped with the rise of, you know, the Hong Kong study, you know, as an academic field. Uh, mm. Because I think since the umbrella, since the 2019, you know, people began to rethink uh, the sensuality of Hong Kong. Uh, you know, within modern China, but also the sensuality of Hong Kong in the global history of nonviolent activism. Mm. Uh, so, so I think it actually presents lots of new opportunity for research uh, and also for you know creative art project. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think even though ten years can be kind of seen, you know, some people might have kind of forgotten about it or see it as kind of like a relic because it was made before the 2019 protests, I, I think it really hasn't aged a day or it has aged supremely well, aged even better than most people could have expected. I mean, this is very bleak and dark, but it's it's true. And I think 10 years will continue to be a very important political document of the era worthy of looking back even 20 years, 30 years into the future, even though... There are a lot of instantly dated elements in the movie, like the closing credits. There's like a Facebook logo of the movie, and like no one nowadays, no one uses Facebook anymore. <laughs> but like, it it really is. I think those specificities only speak to the authenticity of the movie, and make it both a 2015 movie mm. and also a movie that extends far beyond into the future and also the past. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would also want to add that I think the um, I think the film itself uh, it also carry you know a numbers of you know universal message you mm -hmm. know across culture uh, and also across time. Uh, I think when you know some of the American students you know who watch you know some of mm -hmm. the episode in the film, uh, they could easily identify you know the problem of police brutality with you know mm -hmm. um, the Black Lives Matters you know in the United States. So they, they could easily identify, you know, with, you know, the victims of police violence, you know, in the case of Hong Kong. And even for some of the um, Chinese international students, when they watch the dialect section, the, the dialect film, they could think of, you know, the loss of Shanghai dialect, 
the Wenzhou dialect, uh, mm -hmm. and also some of the regional dialects, you know, within China as well. Uh, so I think the film it also speak to uh, the people who live, you know, within the Chinese cultural world, who are also concerned about the disappearance of their local identity and also some of their local characteristics mm. uh, in contemporary China. Uh, so I think the film can actually, you know, speak to different audience in different tone. Right. I'm also very impressed, like you said, by the inclusion of Southeast Asians in the movie oh, and yeah. South Asians in the movie, which have historically been a ethnic minority in Hong Kong, but one was totally neglected by Hong Kong cinema until recent times. And actually, the movie is very welcoming in its inclusion and very kind of liberal friendly, which is surprising considering the kind of conservative streak in Hong Kong, in some arenas of Hong Kong politics. And it is totally, it's a movie that's totally ready to be shown to the international community, even back in 2015 and nowadays. And I, I also think you're right that the movie only has more relevance because of the rise of authoritarian politics and right-wing politics in the global sphere yeah. and neo-fascism and I, I think you're right that you know a lot of c different countries can relate to the problems seen in 10 years because of their own respective leaders in politics and their own messed up situations yeah yeah no definitely I think for the uh, filmmaker themselves and also for the producers at that time I think they were much more sensitive uh, to the cultural diversity and also the ethnic diversity, you know, within uh, Hong Kong. Uh, so the fact that they also include some of these Southeast Asian and South Asian actors, it, it also create a kind of, um, you know, cross-racial and, and also cross-generational solidarity. Uh, so I think that part is actually very impressive. Right. So to wrap this up a little bit, I have some more things to talk about. Let me see. So I think 10 years, to just to speak a little bit more about its um, impressive stylistic features to me, I think, like I said in Fa Extras, I really like the black and white in that short. I think it shows the kind of literal political grayness and moral ambiguity of the world in that situation. And like I said, the staging and the framing of that movie, you always have, you, you in many shots, you have characters, you know, in the upper half of the frame and then you have characters in the lower half of the frame at the same time and it totally exhibits this awareness of class politics even though the movie itself is not necessarily about those things and i think it is really you can see the director really has an eye for framing in that short and then for a lot of people don't seem season of the end the second one is their maybe least favorite one is the most inaccessible one and i think that's true for me as well i think when i when i first watched it when i was in high school when it was released i totally thought it was just some kind of pretentious art house horse shit and i had no idea what it was about and even nowadays i still think it is kind of a little too languorous but i do think what it talks about the oblivion the disappearance it is i think it has relevance that maybe totally escaped audiences back in 2015 you know the this idea of preserving Hong Kong culture has gained so much relevance in the last few years. And this is something that I did not consider at all. And then I, I really like in uh, in Fong Yin, in dialect, the kind of more handheld and um, more casual, more relaxed coverage. I think a lot of student films have this problem of very explicitly designed coverage of, you know, of you can you can see the 
the camera angle is being designed and planned for the day. But this is not really an issue in 10 years at all. I think all of it has a kind of maturity, maybe not an expert level, maybe not expertise, but definitely a maturity in where to place the camera and it, they all flow very naturally. And this is true in, uh, in dialect as well, you know, using handheld and it just totally befits the kind of more slice of life nature of the short. And then obviously you have Tifanzi, a self-emulator, which is the mockumentary. And I think it only works and it works so well because of how accurately it mm. reimagines the kind of documentary aesthetic of Hong Kong, mm. you know, television documentaries like, you know, Hang Chang Zap. And it, it almost feels like a real documentary. I think that when, when I watched it for the first time and even the second time, I thought those people were real people. I thought those so-called <laughs> academics in the movie were actually academics working at, you know, CUHK or whatever. And then it was only reading the credits when I found out that, oh, they were all actors. But it, it speaks to, it needs to be that realistic and authentic mm-hmm. to work. And I think the movie totally does. And then finally, in local, like, like I said, it's a heartwarming kind of cap off to the series. And it actually also kind of predicts some of the future, uh, some of the issues like, migration you know the current migration wave of hong kongers you know in the in the short the farmer he migrates to taiwan which back then mm. might not have you know been really a thing but nowadays it totally mm. is a trend and then you can also see the the control of the authoritarian government seeping everywhere even in the classroom mm. and this is also mm. something that's totally true in the hong kong in mm. the hong kong society right now so i think 10 years you know all of them really have some very amazing features and they're all very worthy of study and i think the the fact that all the su- directors have gone on to become successful does not surprise me at all because yeah. i think you can see that they are totally talented filmmakers and this is a, a film that demonstrates that level of talent what do you think professor lee no no i totally agree with you because i think about you know the way they conceptualize you know each individual mm-hmm. shot uh, and also the cinematic narrative uh, a few thing I just want to add is um, mm-hmm. I think there's one common theme that actually bring all the five you know uh, production together mm-hmm. is you know the notion of you know, mobility, okay the mobility. Um, I think in the first uh, shot the extra you know the lack of mobility among the lower class right. uh, gang member. Uh, I, I think there was at the end I think they actually toss a coin uh, to decide their own future. Uh, it just revealed a kind of lack of opportunity among some of these, you know, lower class uh, criminal gang member, you know, within the whole government establishment as well. Uh, so I think that part actually appealed to many of my students when they saw that. That I think they found that to be the most shocking. Um, I think the second one, seasons of the end, yes, mm-hmm. uh, the same challenge for me and also for many of my students. Uh, but what actually surprised me is, you know, how could they actually find a city? that is so quiet to film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that part was actually remarkable. It actually showed us a kind of vanishing reality, you know, a city that is actually disappearing. Uh, and, and, and that actually reinforced their effort to preserve uh, and also to, you know, conserve that historical memory. Um, you're right about the local X and also the, uh, the dialect. You know, I think there are some kind of comical elements, uh, but at the same time, it also revealed... Um, you know, the linguistic dimensions of mobility uh, and also, you know, the, uh, the international the migration, uh, how people fail to create a sustainable farming economy and then they just move on to Taiwan, you know, as an alternative choice. Uh, so I think that, you know, really take the whole subject about mobility 
uh, to another level. Um, I think, yeah, the self-immolator, I think that one is actually the most powerful and also the most, you know, thought-provoking. Um, mm. It really raised a fundamental question about, um, you know, that kind of highly mobile, mobilizing strategy in protests. Uh, and at the same time, I think this dilemma, you know, this dilemma between nonviolent resistance, civil disobedience, uh, and also a much more proactive approach uh, to challenge uh, a demanding and also an authoritarian government. So, so I think I think uh, I think that one. I think self-immolator. Uh, it asks some very deep question about political uh, mobilization and also political, you know, engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, like I said, the way the short blurs the line between fiction and reality is just totally engrossing and amazing. And it reminds me of some of the works by our masters like Anne Ho and Stanley Kwan, like um like Yunling Yuk Center Stage by Stanley Kwan also has those same kind of methods and questioning of itself. Mm. And it, it shows a level of maturity and introspection in the movie. And yeah, um and I also agree about extras Fao Gua, the first one, like the kind of black humor, the dark humor in it. And the huge irony in the way the lower class thinks they can control their fate, but they can't. It actually reminds you of Parasite, and I think it, oh, predate, okay. it predates oh, yeah. Parasite as well. I mean, oh, yeah. obviously, you know, Parasite is a whole nother level of, of, of amazing kind of execution. But I think mm-hmm. you can see, you know, Extras is totally has the same style as well. To wrap up, Professor Lee, do you have any other remaining thoughts you want to share about 10 years or anything? No, I would say, you know, uh, it is, you know, one of those, you know, um, important classics, you know, coming from, you know, contemporary Hong Kong film industry and um, along with, you know, some other, you know, political documentary on, um, I was, um, Joshua Wong on Edward Le, uh, I mm-hmm. think 10 years actually tried to help us to reimagine uh, that political right. Uh, intensity, that period of political intensity since 1997. Uh, right. If there is a genre of Hong Kong protest cinema, which obviously has been going on before, yeah, yeah, before 10 years and also after 10 years, 10 years is this, is kind of like the grandfather, you know, like nowadays you have like the documentaries on Joshua Wong and Edward Leung and also. Also, Revolution of Our Times, obviously, you know, nowadays mm. you have so many documentaries, Blue Island, right? And all yeah. of these are coming out so fast, and they're all really amazing. And I think they all have 10 years to thank. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think all, you know, I think we should definitely give credit, you know, to the 10 years project, you know, for creating this new cinematic space, you know, for the future generations of the filmmakers. Right. So... Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Professor Lee, today. And thank you, everyone, for listening to our discussion of 10 years, which is a very important movie. And we hope to see you in the next episode. Thank you. Have a good one.